Good morning, Sir Hepla. Oh, you would say that, Nancy Rommelman. You know what you did. <laughs> last summer. Yeah, um, no, sorry. I'm trying to start a fight. I'm trying to start I, a fight because it's our last episode of 2023, and I thought it would be really interesting. 2022. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, sorry. Let's fight about it. Okay. Do you want to fight about what year it is? Yeah. You win, you'll win really fast. <laughs> Um, you know, we had something, I can't remember what it was yesterday. Oh, I know what it was. Um, I had mentioned, I, I didn't like the movie. Um, oh, what is it? The, the not, glass onion at all. I, I watched know. it with my daughter. I like, I re- it just didn't gel. There was nothing, nothing really good about well, it. We should talk about that because I'm ready to fight with you on it. That's what I'm saying. You, I put it on Twitter. I was quoting something. Uh, I like this site, the ankler, uh, run by my friend or started by my friend, Richard Rushfeld in LA really really good, solid um, film stuff. And uh, they were like, wow, you know, it can't break the Netflix top five. And I'm like, that's because it's not good. And you were like, oh, or is it too good? So Sarah, do you, uh, you want to tell me where you're coming from on this? So I'm assuming you have not seen the movie. What are you talking about? I saw the movie and it was one of my hot boxes, silly Billy. Oh, well, you know, I've had and I'm the one that told you to watch it. So like okay. I took all of this personally. Oh, okay. So, okay. Let's, let's hear it. Well, I have been thinking about, so Glass Onion is the Knives Out sequel uh, with Daniel Craig and Edward Norton and Janelle Monet and Kate Hudson and all sorts of people. And it's it's a movie that, that had a really interesting rollout strategy and in that it was in theaters for a month and then they put it on Netflix. And there was a lot of hubbub about whether that was going to work or not. And it did really well at the box office. And even though it might not have cracked the top five or what I didn't read that ankler story it's done really well on Netflix I mean I had seen a a variety headline that was like it was the number one movie now it may be that the number one movie on Netflix doesn't crack the top five of Netflix I can understand that and it had like 82 million downloads but don't you think I mean this is my opinion about that that it's bounced from um Knives Out. I mean people really like Knives Out. It was like super fun and they're like oh, we were anticipating Glass Onion like oh it's going to be so cool. I mean did you think it was fun? Did you Yes, think that- I thought it was super fun. And so wow. this is where like like I get this despair in my heart like maybe I never knew you and maybe <laughs> everything's ruined. Like when and this I, is actually when- our last episode. <laughs> yeah. Because here's the thing. It's like um it's like when you're dating somebody and you're like, "Oh my god, oh my god, you have to watch this, let's say like Chris Rock's Bigger and Blacker." I'm pulling this out of my ass. This has never happened. And then the guy that you're dating watches it and they're like, "That is stupid." And you're like, "I can't do this anymore." Like I can't I cannot live in the charade well, where I know that Chris Rock's Bigger and Blacker is brilliant and you don't think it is. And so let me just defend Glass Onion for a moment. Because I didn't even, like, I liked Knives Out, but I didn't love it. And I saw this, you know, maybe expectations are part of it. Because I was like, oh, I'll just go to the movie. I was going with my buddy Joe. We we go to movies all the time. And it was a packed theater. It was Alamo Draft House where, like, they bring you food, like mediocre food. Oh, yeah, that's, and that's fun. Cool, and, um, and so I just loved the shit out of it. Like, I had so much fun that when it was done... I wanted to watch it over again. And the audience was laughing so hard and it was so beautifully communal and I missed those communal experiences. And I've really thought, um, you know, because the the critics loved this movie, the reviews were super good. 
And then it went on to Netflix. And even though it's, you know, a lot of people did like it, but like a lot of people in my Twitter feed were like, this movie sucks so much. It has made me question movie criticism. And I was like, what is happening? And I wonder if there isn't something like that movie really was designed to see in a theater. One of the reasons I loved it was that it gave me that communal sense of everybody having the same experience at once. And, you know, it is campy. You know, it has a certain like, like silliness and campiness that maybe if I watched it on my own, I wouldn't really plug into the frequency of it. I also thought about, you know, I remember like when CGI first came out and the Gladiator is the movie I'm thinking of in particular. I like that and, movie. And and I remember like if you watch that movie on a screen, you were like, holy shit, the tiger looks so good. And then if you watched it at home on your television, you were like, that is the dumbest looking tiger I've ever seen. It looks really super fake. There was a there was a translation problem between the mediums. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's what's happening, but to me, Glass Onion was just this really fun, rollicking, star-studded, like throwback to a movie like a movie like Clue. Do you remember the movie Clue? Vaguely. I mean, I, I remember the game Clue. Well, the yeah, board of course. game. Yeah. But there was a movie in I think the late eighties or early nineties. We used to watch it in college. And, you know, and it's it was just this is kind of silly and and fun and you didn't know like to me, Glass Onion was great because I really didn't know what was coming. And, you know, some of the plot twists are preposterous, but I I think again, with a movie, it's like you either you suspend your disbelief or you don't. And if you do with that movie, it's great fun. And if you don't, it's probably a very rocky ride. I, I've used this analogy before with um, television and movies, but, but movies actually mostly, or but movies and books. Um, if if you don't like get on the train right away, it's just like you're just kind of like watching the train go right. by. And that was the experience I had. But it's interesting that you say the CGI in Gladiator and the tigers look so bad. One thing that I noted, and I did watch this with my daughter, who is a set decorator and who's a very visual person and knows how to make environments incredibly, you know, luxe. There was this, you know, sort of scene in the end where there's a lot of breakage of glass. Are you talking and about glass onion? Or are you talking about gladiator? glass onion? Glass onion. Yeah. There was a lot of breakage of glass, um, like oh, yeah, glass yeah, yeah. objects. And the objects were so but ugly. I was like, mm. so maybe that was an effect of, of watching it. We watched it on my laptop. But it was so, I, I found it, the only thing I kind of found entertaining in that movie was uh, Kate Hudson, who I'm yeah, not, she's great. I don't really have any particular feeling for Kate Hudson one way or the other. I, I you know, I saw her no, almost famous and she just hasn't made a big um, impression on me. She was quite entertaining in this. I, I found her, her performance to me to be the only successful really performance in the piece. Everything else just seems sort of, I don't know, like, um, flat and mm -hmm. and in a way that I, I can see what you're saying it's like well it's a caricature it's kind of campy yeah. I didn't get that I got yeah. it just seemed fake that's, and so yeah I, that's what work. I would think yeah if you experience that movie as like wanting some realism it's going to be like a terrible failure and I will tell you oh. in the first five minutes I was like Daniel Craig's southern accent is preposterous and it's and I can't get over it and then kind of like with Kevin Spacey in House of Cards I just forgot Mm. Like the accent is a failure and I just don't care. 
Um, well, Sarah, it is two. I don't. What is today? The the it's the twenty ninth of December. Yes. Uh, we've In been twenty twenty three. We. Of 2023, yes, 2017. Um, that's right. I, I'm just going <laughs> to be the person that doesn't know what year it is. Um, we have been at this uh, since I think April, something like that. We started. We did a few. We did a few podcasts that I, I um, put over on my Substack, and I think I might have put them on the Paloma Media um, uh, um, uh, feed. Um, I have a little announcement about Paloma Media toward the end of the show. Um, you won the but Oscar. I did. I mean, I don't want to brag, <laughs> but it's between me and Kate Hudson. Um, uh, but we have talked about a lot of things. And in preparation for this episode, I decided to go back and, you know, just sort of, I didn't listen. I didn't listen to any of the episodes, but I kind of just scanned to see what it was we were talking about. You know, just in case listeners don't know, one one person in this podcast does listen to the episodes so she can be dutiful and write super good intros to our show notes. And that person would not be me. Um, <laughs> so what do you think? What do you think are the topics we talk about most? Glass onion. <laughs> I think we've been talking about glass onion since March, May. <laughs> we anticipated it. Yeah. Um, all right. No. What do you? What do you? What are our topics that we just keep wanting to kind of dig our fingers into? Okay. Here are the things we talk about all the time. Um, celebrity. Mm-hmm. Trauma. I don't know. Remember when you kept you kept talking about that New Yorker story, the trauma I plot? Stop. Like every I could, I could single stop. I couldn't stop. freaking episode, you'd be like, "There's a story in the New Yorker." I was like, "Are you dating that story okay, in the New listen, Yorker?" I I am. I have to go steady with somebody, right? Oh um, well, that actually, I mean, we haven't gotten to our best of yet, but I, uh, it's probably there are two articles that I would say were my favorite articles of the year, and that is okay. But don't that do that yet. Don't. Do I'm that. not. I'm not. Okay. You just so what us. else do we talk about? Joe Rogan. Um, my, my real boyfriend. Yeah. Your real boyfriend, Joe Rogan. Um, Matt Welch. I think he's probably <laughs> one of our through lines. Um, our buddy Matt Welch. Um, let me think. Okay, no, I'm going to be serious now. Um, cults for some reason. Cults. Definitely cults. I'm, I'm actually looking at the list. So just so you know, I'm checking it off. You've so far gotten celebrity and cults. That is correct. Okay. And and are we going to talk about like why these are our topics? Because I mm. have some thoughts. We will in a second. Okay. Got okay. To, I have, what else I have, do I? I have three um, more. Journalism, here. media shit shows. Yep. 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 Um, and then um, television because TV is awesome. Yeah. And I think we talk uh, – sometimes in elliptical ways um, about feminism because it's Mm -hmm. something that we've both um, thought about, I think, in not the usual ways, if we think about it at all. I actually don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. You probably did more because you were an editor of of essays. Yeah, and I was the editor of a feminist blog at Salon called Broadsheet, (laughs) which, you know, I've written about before. Like, that was such when they gave me that job. I was dating... Nick, the homicide detective at the time. And I like that night I was like, Nick, they put me in charge of a feminist blog and I don't even think I'm a feminist. Did he laugh and laugh and laugh? Oh yeah, he laughed, but he was also, he was a women's studies minor and he was like, no, baby, you're a feminist. Feminism is cool. And I was like, I don't know that it is. Okay. And and it's funny. Feminism is such a, it's, I think you said that exactly right. Like we do talk about that, but we don't say, but we, but that is a word that dare not speak its name. You know, I think it's it's such 
it, it's one of my passions and obsessions is the relationship between men and women and women's rising place in the world over the last specifically 50 years. Cause I think the story of what's happened from the seventies kind of feminist changes to now where it's been about 50 years is just one of the most staggering social changes. You know, that it's so invisible. We don't even talk about it. You know, it's, it's changed everything. There's actually a great book by Gail Collins um, called when everything changed and it's the story of feminism. She's a New York times columnist. She's not somebody I read very often, but, or ever, but that's a good, like it takes you through the steps of how much has changed over the last 50 years and all the switchbacks of it. And yeah, I'm obsessed with that story, that, that story writ large. I think, you know, if I'd kept going in my list of things we talk about, I, I would have said something around me too. And, and, the relationship between what we have historically called the two sexes. I understand that's changing and that's going to be a major shift as we move forward, which is what is gender ideology and and how do we understand men and women? And is that even what you say anymore? But for purposes of this podcast, this conversation, I'm going to just continue in that what have been like the historical categories, um, you know, the relationship between men and women and 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 the sexual like like how the sexual revolution is playing out um the bargains of it you know we're living in both the 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 benefits and the collateral damage of those changes of the sexual revolution in the 70s and um so me too that's a long that was a long ass wind up for me to say me too stories that's for sure and and it's interesting because there are some issues that we sometimes wonder: Have we transcended them? Um, are they sunsetting? Um, are they? Are we transcending them for the right reasons? Um, how important uh, is it for us to sort of like dig up the seeds and re-examine them? Do we want to just move forward? Or is it important to acknowledge what came before? It's complicated. Um, me too is very complicated, and I think for me at least was further complicated by what we talked about a couple of episodes when I watched Ronan Farrow's. Um, uh, catch and Kill, as I think I said on that episode, I had tried to listen to the book when it first came out, which he uh, narrated, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't stick. I felt as though I were being manipulated yeah. a little bit. I felt as though the story was just canted in a way. Um, like there was only going to be this one thing. Now I'm not going to dig into ind- individual stories because there were some people that behaved like with such grotesquery and oh, sorry you're, no, you're, but, you're raising but your hand Ben Smith wrote a great column for the New York Times I think it was his first column when he was media columnist about Ronan Farrow's slickness and yeah. kind yeah. of the cool. the problems of that book and his reporting and I thought it really captured a lot of what was a little problematic with 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 Ronan Farrow and I never read Catch and Kill but people would tell me like oh it's like a Hollywood movie and I was like well that's cool that's fun but once you make that kind of story entertainment you're sanding off a lot of edges and you know I think the Ben Smith column gets into why that's a problem but the documentary that we watch on HBO, the Catch and Kill podcast tapes, I think it's called, uh, was was tremendous. Well, I and it was all, it, it 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 shows you why that reporting is still really important. Like we can argue about 
approach and da 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 da. But he, you know, those stories are really interesting and really good. And he's a good interviewer. You know, growing up with his mom, I'm not even going to go into what I think of his mom, gave him enormous empathy for women in pain. And and he is a great interviewer. You can see it in that in that docuseries. Agree. I thought that was And that he's was got really great cool. lips. I just He does. Say. He's got these super puffy lips that you kind of can't not look at I when can't the not look camera's at them. on him. Yes. Can't not it's look at them. very, very interesting. Um so yeah, so those were the topics we talked about. Oh, and um, also I wanted to say one more thing, which yes, is yes, yes. <clears throat> Me Too was complicated for both of us for personal reasons. And, you know, I know you don't want to go into... No, I will. I will a bit. Your story. But I mean, like, but over in my world, I was putting out a book called Blackout, available at Amazon and online bookstores, um, that talked about the complications between sex and alcohol, which were incredibly important in my life. And I knew from sitting in the rooms of AA that they were important for a lot of women's stories. And that subject had become taboo in feminist circles. And I felt kind of ignored and punished for it. Mine was a much, people quiet quit me, you know, (laughs) like it was a much quieter, more subtle, people just cautiously moving away from you because you're talking about a subject they find dangerous. But I resented the hell out of it, that that I thought that there was this this subject that was so important that I, because I was going to colleges and talking to students and the students were like, we want to talk about this. And, and then out there in the big world of legacy media, it was like, oh, you can't talk about that. And, and that just pissed me off. It should anger you. And this really, oh my God, if there's one, first of all, I have a big story dropping later today or tomorrow about a murder and about how things are, and how certain factions and certain institutions and certain media outlets demand that stories be told in a certain way. And I'm, I'm going to sort of not with giving away a lot of details, but you know, I hadn't met you yet. We had um, talked, um, and I knew I wanted to meet you. I think we did one podcast, and I read Blackout. And the opening scene blew my mind so much for, A, it's honesty. Mm -hmm. This is a rough story. This is a story that I'm not going to give it away. You can, well, you I, I mean, it's the beginning of the book. I come it's, out of a blackout having sex with a guy that I don't even recognize him. And right. it's in a Paris hotel room. It's like 10 levels of fucking weird. I mean, and I lived in it and it was blew my mind too. And she's on top. Okay. Yeah. So that's she's- the detail. That's the detail, that's right? That's the detail, right? And, but you, you, Matt, you told this story without, without making yourself the victim of anybody but yourself. And that was, to me, so, first of all, that's like walking naked out on stage and going, okay, here I am. Let's talk about it. But also, because you are Sarah Hepler and I love you and we all love you, you were also funny at times. And I thought, holy shit, this is what I have been looking for in terms of how we talk about these super difficult issues. Yeah. And, and I... 
had been destroyed for not and and continue to be destroyed for other reasons in other uh, cultural areas for not following the party line, for not saying axiomatically every motherfucking time, every time the woman's the victim, ever and always. And if you say she's not, you are the enemy. Not only are you the enemy, we will expose you, we will run you down, and we will make sure that you pay. And that is something I have lived through, and this is something you to a certain extent have lived through, and I, I absolutely know. Because when I had my little uh, podcast, uh, you know, hashtag me neither, which I've actually had never listened to all the episodes. I didn't have them. And a friend of mine did. And he sent them to me. And I listened to them. And I think you did, too. And for the most part, it was pretty benign. A few things that you had some more quibbles with than I did. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Now I'm I'm losing my train of well, thought. Well, the point here. is that you had this thing called me neither oh. you, hashtag me neither, and you listen to it again, and it's okay. not as bad given oh. all that was taken away. Oh, of course. But what I wanted to say was when it was when the whole pylon was happening, when basically my world was crumbling, and my husband's world and financial world and everything. Um, we I received we received thousands. I, I'm not exaggerating thousands of emails, many going to my husband's business because his business was the one that was being targeted for my opinions, yeah. um, saying, we we were so grateful to mm. listen to something that sounded sensible. Mm. And I, you know, I think the way you wrote about it, look, you are allowed to write about what happened to you any way you want. And that is valuable. Do people have to read it? No. They don't, but they also are under no obligation to attack it. And that people do, I find, I find like kind of weirdly cowardly Mm -hmm. that they don't actually have the curiosity or the bandwidth or the courage to say, wow, this is a complicated issue. And I think, and I hope, and our readers, I keep saying readers, our listeners, I think kind of get that we're trying to do that, I guess, with various, you know, uh, um, um, degrees of success, but trying to talk about an issue in not one way. And I mean, I only ever want to do that. And I'm, I'm very grateful to you that, that you want to do that too. So yes, we do talk about me too. Yeah. And I wanted to say one thing about that opening scene in the book. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I read in one of the reviews of the book, this woman, it's, it's one of the only kind of negative reviews I got, which is fine. Um, but she was saying, you know, well, you know, Heppola opens up the book, having sex with this guy coming out of a blackout and she's on top and she, you know, Heppola is a feminist and she knows what she's doing with this detail. And it was actually, it actually struck me when I read it. Cause I was like, what am I doing with this detail? Because it, to me, it wasn't a detail. It was what happened. I, I opened the book that way because that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I wasn't writing that scene for some ideological dig. I was writing that scene because it was the most messed up thing that ever happened to me during my blackout years. And I thought it was a good rollicking way to begin the book and its complications. And what I did not fully even realize was the extent to which I had written a scene that would have been talked about in the press 
as I was a victim of this guy and I wrote it as I was a victim of my own drinking and bad behavior. I mean, to me, that is a story about how I am bedeviled by alcohol. And it, it and it's 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 not about that story in particular is not about predatory sexuality. It is not about quote unquote rape culture. You know, that's a story about someone that thought she could find freedom through drinking to incredible excess and found herself instead in a different cage, which is not a, a simply a story about women and drinking. It's a story about drinking, period. You know, when you go to the eye doctor and they drop all the or the optometrist and they drop all those lenses in and like and you can see more clearly and more yeah. clearly. I just see you as demanding that you get the clearer and clearer um, vision there. Whereas I think some people are like, yes. you know what? This lens matches how I want the world to be. It makes the world look like the way I want it to be, that I feel safe, that I think I'm going to get support or that I think will um, not get me piled on by my friends or whatever the case may be. And I think um, I remember I interviewed the, um, the writer William Langaspecia years ago. And God, he, it's hot when you say his name. And, well, he's, he, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he said to me, you know, my, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, I'll, I'll find the actual article. Um, you know, my only job is to um, see as clearly as I can through trusted eyes. That's, you know, you are trying to do that. Sometimes that's not easy, whether it's, you know, your publication demands that you see things in a certain way or because you're fearful or because you got the story wrong. Um, but I think one of the reasons why your book is so powerful, besides the fact that it's like gorgeously written and very raw in some ways, also sometimes funny, which I adore, is um, you tried to see as clearly as you could and the readers mm -hmm. trust you. I trusted you when yeah. I read that. And then I was like, I should ask her to go steady. Yeah. And we've been dating ever since. <laughs> and we've been, been dating ever since. We've been friend dating ever since. Um, so uh, something that we talk about a lot um, are cults. Um, it's something yeah. that I've been fascinated with uh, for years. And um, I think we've kind of had no shortage lately of cults that are, you know, real, like, pretty easy to define as cults and ones that are a little more, I don't know, a little more squeegee. Like maybe someone sees it as a cult and someone's like, well, no, no, this is, I'm complete. This is completely my choice. I feel like right. I'm, you know, I'm striving toward utopia with these other people and you call it a, a cult because you're not enlightened, but, right. but we are. Um, I'm not sure when you want to jump off into our, uh, some of our favorites here and when we're going well, can to. Can I just say a few things yes. about cults? Yes. I mean, because I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was listening to Helen Lewis, who's a really interesting thinker, and she was on the Blockchain Reported podcast, and she has a new podcast called, I think it's called The New Gurus, and she's kind of looking at, and, and there's a few, a few different podcasts about this, um, you know, this, this sort of, like, who are, like, why do we want to believe people so much? Like, why are we so starved to follow people? And I really see it as the collapse of organized religion has created a vacuum 
in the modern experience that people really crave belonging, community, the things that used to be given to you from a church, for instance, or a family unit, because both of those have kind of crumbled. And I just want to make clear, I say this as somebody who is just an avowed agnostic. I don't, I don't, I never go to church and I don't, like, I don't, I'm not a conservative in the sense that I want organized religion back, but I am somebody that likes to track cultural trends. And I will tell you, I think an unintended consequence of organized religion collapsing is this growth of niche communities. And some of them are good and some of them are bad and some of them are both. And what we mean when we say cult is incredibly squishy. I mean, I could tell you, and many people would tell you, that the Catholic Church is a cult. Sure. But, you know, you're not going to get a lot of traction online with that. But if you say that Nexium is a cult, well, then now, you know, you've got a number one story. Because what's Nexium and who are these people and why are they doing it? And, and if you say it's a sex cult, it's like boom, 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 boom. Like you've hit all the buttons. So... I've said before that, you know, people talk about AA as a cult, and I think this just kind of, you know, you you, a, you have to ask the question of what does it mean to be in a cult, and it usually has to do with, like, if you try to leave, there are consequences, and, you know, but that but that's true for so many people, and and when I think about, like, is, like, left-wing ideology, is that a cult? Because when I tried to leave it, meaning when I've spoken out outside of it, I've absolutely felt consequences. But but is that just, that's not a cult. It's just a loosely defined, you know, um, what would I say? Like, it's just conventional thinking. Like, it's just, it's just like unwritten dogma. So anyway, you know, I think the cult thing is, I don't think it's a coincidence that we spent last year, this year, talking a lot about cults because I think they're very much of the moment. But I think they're also too, they're evanescent. You know, they, they come and they go. Evanescent? Um, evanescent? Is it, it? Sorry, it's another bad pronunciation. Evanescent, like fleeting, like they don't yeah. they don't hang around. Um, you know, they you you have like Jim Jones, and now you know, obviously they're all dead. Um, or you have you know Anexium, and he's in prison. I mean, some of this is because we can examine things more quickly uh, than someone that like goes into the mountains in eighteen thirty, and we we don't know what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think. But when you know, do, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but like, but when obviously I do want to interrupt you. When do <laughs> cults like? That, explode. And if you look at like Jim Jones and Manson and all that, that's in the changes of the 60s. Like these incredible, like the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of institutions. And and that's happening now. Anything we pay, I've said this, like, I think I say this almost every day. Every, anything we pay attention to grows, whether it's a, uh, a plant or a child or a book, right? And I think, like, let's take the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, you know, for, you know, good or ill, has stood the tests of time. And people have poured millions and millions and millions of man hours into building it and have, have created incredible art and architecture and whole ethos and political systems. I mean, it stood the test of time. Whereas like a Nexium, it's like, okay, well, goodbye. You're, you're not going to be around. Um, I was listening to, because I have insomnia this week, I was listening to the, um, the fifth column guys at three o'clock in the morning on their, um, 
uh, paid subscriber only episodes and they were talking about Kwanzaa. And oh. if you don't know, if people, I'll actually put a link to it. We have um, at Paloma Media, we do a person of the day and Matt did one earlier in the week, Matt Welch, sorry, their bingo card, um, about the inventor of Kwanzaa, uh, which started in 1966 in California. His name was Ron Karenga. Well, he'd given himself an African last name. I can't remember his, I think his real last name was like Everett or something like that. Hmm. He was a, a, a maniacal drug addict, a torturer of women, and someone who went to prison for torturing women. I mean, he is such a horrible, horrible character. So, But he gave uh, them... Most bang in Kwanzaa parties. Well, maybe if they included his wife at the time sitting on a woman's stomach while somebody else water boarded her with a hose up her nose. So there's that and made them drink detergent. But in any case, um, Michael Moynihan. Where do you live? Uh, of California, of course. Hello. Oh, <laughs> Bay Area, I believe. He's not, he's not African? No. 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 And the holiday's not. It's a made-up holiday that he made up, and people are like, okay, you know, we'll have this, like, eight, seven, or six-day event, and it's going to be celebrating, you know, communal uh, property and economics, and we're going to steal, like, a menorah. In any case, Michael Moynihan apparently wrote a pretty big piece about him for a reason, which I haven't read, but I'll link. But I was saying this because Matt was saying how he's, like, you know— pretty much all holidays are made up and he's like kind of four yeah. made up holidays. That's and, right. you know, even though this guy is a douche and a dick and a criminal um, and Michael's like, yeah, but you know, really like, do we want to keep like kind of supporting this made up holiday when it's made up by someone who's so bad. And I was like, mm. I kind of tended to agree with Michael. I was like, also people are not really, I don't think there are that many people that celebrate Kwanzaa. Um, but if you look under the hood you are not going to be happy where this came from. Did you see that video of um, what's her bucket? That's the vice president. I was going to say Camille Foster. What's her name? Uh, Kamala Harris. Yeah. Kamala Harris talking about like in our family, we celebrated Kwanzaa every year. And it's just like, what are you even talking about? And also, is she officially turned into a robot? Well, it's funny that you say that because Matt mentioned that and Michael's like, oh, bullshit. And Matt was like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. She was born in 64. Kwanzaa came about in 66. She mm -hmm. lived in the East Bay. Her parents were liberal professors. Right. You know what? Oh, she maybe may have. They did. Maybe they did. Um, in any case. So um, I'm going to start yeah, celebrating so Kwanzaa. Does it have a day? Is there a I think day? I think it's six. I think it's six days starting the day after Christmas, but I don't know that for sure. Oh, shit. Eight days We're in starting Kwanzaa the day right after now. Christmas. Yeah, in Kwanzaa right now. So apparently the the what you say is joyous Kwanzaa. That's like the it's like like Merry Christmas, joyous uh -huh. Kwanzaa. But I don't think I'm gonna say joyous Kwanzaa because I, I don't like the dude I, I don't I really am not I, I really don't agree with the dude that what he did. Well he I haven't it. read his misdeeds, so I'm a little bit like blissfully ignorant but i'm gonna start i think this is our kwanzaa episode and I, that nope, we're in kwanzaa nope, right now nope nope joyous kwanzaa <laughs> no. i got you a kwanzaa present <laughs> it is i'm dressed Sarah, for the occasion if you name this episode joyous kwanzaa that's joyous, it 
joyous Kwanzaa, our best of 2022, <laughs> how this podcast has celebrated the values of Kwanzaa all year long. And you didn't even know it. Oh, God, Sarah. Um, all the A's in that word. How can you be against it? It's got yeah, like three the, A's. There's the second A, Kwanzaa. Is that right? I think mm-hmm. there's the lots of A's. There's lots of three or four A's. By the way, is it really weird that I confused Kamala Harris with Camille Foster? No, because who would you prefer for vice president? You know, there was no. a, there was back in the day, back in 2020, there was like some talk, some actual kind of like maybe real talk of uh, Justin Amash running for president with Camille as vice president. I think uh, there's even a bumper sticker that says, uh, you know, like Amash Foster 2020. Well, uh, I think that that's going to need to cook in the oven for about 10 to 15 years. But I will tell you that when I met Camille Foster for the first time at your humble abode, your beautiful abode. Uh, That kid really wowed me. I got a real hit of greatness off of him. And I mean this in all sincerity. It's going to sound a little corny. Um, I pride myself on being able to spot talent. That sounds really creepy. But um, in quotes, I can spot. Yeah, I use this line on the 20 something. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do. It's, It's my it's my hinge bio. Um, no, but like, you know, just for an example, and this is going to sound so stupid, but like I, I was completely obsessed with Jon Stewart before anybody else knew who he was because he had the, his own show that nobody knew about. And I, I loved it. And same with Johnny Depp. Like he was on this 20 on jump street and I was just like, that guy's going to be huge. Now, I mean, so like I and 50 million other horny 12 year olds also made the same conclusion. But anyway, when I met Camille Foster, I was like, oh, you're like important in a way that hasn't been articulated yet. It it was just interesting to me. He can be very, very, very kind. I like Camille. Good shoes too. Key to my house. Has good. Oh yeah. He's, I think he's a sneakerhead. I think I'm I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure. Um, So I'm wondering um, if we should kind of soon go on to the uh, bonus part of this episode where we talk about our best ups. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, we can, but I have a couple of more things I want to talk about with the last episode. Can can I just say two – I wanted to give two updates. Well, I wanted to revisit two stories. One is the Will Smith story and one is the Depp Heard story. Sure. Okay. No, I want to revisit them. I'm just uh, trying to figure out our our, our paywall. Line. I know I took the steering wheel away from you at That's the last okay. minute. That's all right. Jesus, take the wheel. Okay. Before we go into the subscriber-only content, where we're going to go over our favorites of the year. Yep. And our predictions and what we got wrong and all that good stuff. What we got wrong. Yep. And all of that. There were two stories that were really big this year and... I thought we did a really good job covering them to the extent that we could. Hold on. I'm patting myself on the back. Okay, go. Okay. Yes. One of them is the Will Smith, Jada Pinkett fiasco. Um, and then the Oscar slap, which was just such a bizarre thing um, happening in real time as we were talking about it. I think a lot of times, like I've come to really hate hot takes, you know, hot take stories where like something happens and you have to say like, it's wrong. It's right. 800 words, blah. And I think they're mostly bullshit (laughs) stories. 
But I think one of the things I've liked about in real time takes, they're not hot takes, they're like warm takes that we've been able to do on this podcast is that, you know, we're able to discuss something that like, you don't know the ramifications yet. You don't know what's going to happen, but, but it's important and you want to discuss it. I think, I think making those, turning those into discussions as opposed to proclamations is one of the, the, the good pivots that podcasts versus, uh, online media or media in general can do. But, if I may, if I may, yeah. it's also a luxury of the freelancer. I know this with myself, that you can go spend seven weeks or seven months or seven years on a story. Whereas yeah. if you are on staff, you got to get that story in tonight or tomorrow. That's it. And it does not always, and that's really not the fault of the writer necessarily, or even the publication. It's just the, um, it's just the schedule. And Meaning so, that hot takes are like nobody's fault specifically because they were something that the market kind of demanded. And so so media companies were demanding them. Or, or not even just hot takes. Like in my an example, I'll take just because of the work I'm doing right now. Like I've been able to spend a couple of months on the, on the story of a murder. Whereas, you know, in the city where it happened, there have been 40 other murders since then. Like right. the, the, the papers cannot stand still and, and, and kind of delve very, very deeply into this thing. They can't. And it's really, it's not the fault of the writers. It's just the way, it's just the schedule. It's the conveyor belt. It keeps moving. And um, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. When you've got a podcast where you can kind of like stretch out and ask questions and like bring things in, I thought that story also was so both devastating and fascinating because it was very rare you have seen a really a worldwide celebrity um, crumple in full view yeah. who had a series of emotions, some of them conflict, conflicting, all of them deeply mortifying, I I think, for him. Um, and, 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 you know, a billion people watched it. This is, I mean, this is, this is, this is the stuff of nightmares. It's, and, and the stuff of operas and, and classic yeah. books. I mean, it was, it was one of those moments. Do you remember what I said when you asked me my reaction to watching that slap? No. I said in, this was my thought as I was watching it in real time. I said, Hollywood is over. Mm. And wow. over the past year, that was pretty early on in our in our Kwanzaa celebration of the last year. And <laughs> thank you. I would I wanted to make you laugh, and the then you didn't laugh, and I was of, like, "Eight hundred days of Kwanzaa." Yeah, in our in our in our three hundred sixty five <laughs> days of Kwanzaa, and um, and I've thought about it a lot. Like, like sometimes I. Like, okay, when you make proclamations like that, there's some part of you that's like, yeah, I just fucking nailed culture. And then over the next months, I'd be like, oh, that was wrong. Like, I remember Top Gun Maverick came out and everybody loved it. And it was this thing that knit us together. And I was like, oh, I was so wrong. Because Hollywood, you know, here's like one of the great Hollywood stars making this movie that everybody loves. But since then, I have thought, no, I was correct. And, and... Top Gun Maverick was like one of the last gasps of one of the last great movie stars. And I do think Hollywood is over. I think that the, we have seen a series of eulogies for it 
done by some of the best directors of our time, by which I mean Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is absolutely a eulogy for the movies and for Hollywood. Um, and I think it's my favorite of this genre. Um, I also saw Babylon last night, which is... What is that? You you texted me that. I don't know what that is. Oh, you don't know what that is. Okay. That's um, Damien uh, Ch- Chazelle. What the fuck is his last name? Damien Chazelle, right? He did La La Land and... I didn't see that. First Man, which I think it was with Ryan Gosling. It's about uh, Neil Armstrong, and it's I think it's a super underrated movie. Like I really love Damien Chazelle, if that's his name. Is that the one? Is that the one I I sent you the thing? Oh no, no, that's a different one. The uh... so okay, so Babylon. I think you should see it. Although it's it's hard for me to recommend this movie because I think it's nearly three hours long, and it's what I would call like a very very interesting failure. Um. It is about the transition in Hollywood from silent films to talking films. It is actually, do you know Singing in the Rain? Of course. Yeah, it's one of my favorite musicals. And so it is, it's kind of like the decadent tragedy version of Singing in the Rain. There's all these like opulent, like Roman orgy style, like, like, Hollywood in the 20s scenes. You know, like one of the opening scenes is a giant party where there's kind of like a fatty Arbuckle character and this woman dies. And it's it's kind of like a sub... It, it's not even part of the story, really. Um, but it's about two people. So So Brad Pitt is in this movie. Margot Robbie is in this movie, who I adore. Um, I love I love her. She's oh my great. God, she's so good, and she was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. Yes, she was right. She was playing Sharon Tate, and in both movies, there's scenes where she goes to a movie theater as someone who is in the film and sits in the theater while people are yep. watching her film. Yep. yep, and you know that is the dream of so many people, but especially young women. In over the last hundred years. Women wanted to be a part of that magic. The tail end of that story is the Me Too era, which shows you what it was really like to be part of that magic, or not really what it was like, but what what people sacrificed and what happened when they did step into that magic factory, and it was a nightmare. And I think that dream is gone. You know, I think I think the very American dream of being somebody who joins the party of Hollywood and becomes somebody capital S is gone. I mean, now I think it's transmogrified, right? It's gone into TikTok and Instagram and social media influence and Twitter, you know, like, but that's not the same. That's not the same as this thing, which was Hollywood. And, you know, another eulogy, I haven't seen it yet, is The Fablemans by Steven Spielberg, one of the great late 20th century uh, directors and one of the people that was most gifted at turning kind of real history or real family or whatever into a dream that we all wanted to live inside. It's funny. I haven't seen The Fablemans yet. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Steven Spielberg's. I, yeah. I, I don't like seek out his movies immediately when they come out. But, you know, you watch them. They're always, 
They're always well done. They always land. Sometimes they're a little sentimental. It's okay. Like he makes these sort of movies that that kind of like capture you and embrace you. Mm -hmm. And I will see this one too, because there's really room for that, you know, as opposed to when we also watch like all the funny things or the horror things or whatever, like there is really a place for this kind of storytelling. Um, well, Babylon is, it has like brilliant scenes, which, yeah, I would love for you to see it. And maybe we could talk about it more in 2016 okay. next year. <laughs> oh, sorry. 2023. And, um, because I would love to talk about it more. It is something you can sink your teeth into, but actually watching it is a little bit difficult because it has too many characters, it has too many plot lines. The, the camera is swooping all over the place all the time. It's really over, overly hectic. It's got really gross stuff. It's got really over the top, like sex stuff. And, and part of that is, is surfacing the decadent world of 20s Hollywood, which I think was, it was true. It was very decadent. I don't think it was this decadent. This is, this looks like Weimar Republic cabaret stuff. Um, maybe. Maybe Hollywood really was, you know, it's called Babylon and it's not based on Hollywood Babylon, the book I was just that I was say that I, I was gonna claimed say. I was going to read and then never did. But, well, um, Hollywood but, Babylon. I, but it definitely it's, 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 it's evoking that time. As I recall, because I, I don't know if I still have it because when I moved from Portland, I sold all my books, but, um, Hollywood Babylon is really more, it's a lot of pictures. It's not. I don't remember it as being like a deep a book you deeply read. It was really photographic, as I recall. I could be wrong about that. Sarah, I'm sorry to tell you this. I'm going to make an executive decision here. Now, you can counter me in the year of our Lord, 2028. <laughs> I think we should talk about Depp Heard in the... Um, in the bonus episode. We will. We'll talk okay. about Depp Heard in the bonus episode, but I want to, yep. I want to, I want to wrap up, uh, our family saga of, of Smith Pinkett because, or Pinkett Smith, because I wanted to know what had happened to those characters. You know, I, that was such a big story. And then I was like, what happened to them? Like, what's going on? Where are we now? And so I did a little Google searching this morning to update everyone. Um, do you know, by the way, do you know what, what Will Smith and Jada Pinkett are up to? I do not. The only thing that sort of fleetingly passed my line of vision was that he had a new uh, film come out and he was not nominated for an Academy Right, Award. I mentioned that in and the I, Golden Globes. There Globe was some ins ins yeah, insinuation that it was because of, of the slap. I, or maybe, maybe it wasn't a good performance. I, I have no idea. So. Well, the movie Emancipation came out in early December. I didn't even know it was out. That's how little coverage this movie got. Um, and it has been a terrible failure. The critics have criticized his performance. It's by the director Ant Antoine Fuqua, who's, you know, respected. But this is not, this has been a a very big budget Hollywood movie that cratered. And by the way, there's been several of these. I mean, Babylon is one of them. I was in a theater last night with like four other people. My brother and I walked in and it was completely empty, which was my experience of going to She Said, which was another big Hollywood movie that cratered at the box office. I mean, again, I do think Hollywood is over. It will change. It will be something different. But, you know, yeah, th these big budget Hollywood movies, no. And certainly not starring Will Smith. That's over. But the Smith Pinkett family did attend that, did attend that, uh, 
premiere together. So they were making a public, you know, statement of solidarity, whatever that means. They have weathered this storm as friends or who knows what. And then the twist that I didn't see coming, do you remember that this story also involved the fact that Jada Pinkett Smith had had a, quote, entanglement with yes. a younger man? Yes. Named August Alsina or Alsina? Well, the, here's the twist I didn't see coming. He has now uh, come out on social media and said that he has a boyfriend. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. It, you didn't know August was going to do that to us. He keeps no. it in- interesting. Or not. Like, or not. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Your failure to be surprised and shocked by the August Alsina or Alsina twist is one of the tragedies of this episode. Uh, Joyous yeah. Kawanza. Well, all right. Everybody stay tuned. We're going to get to our best of. Sarah, I'll see you in a minute. Nancy, I'm not wearing pants. The warmth of your love's like the warmth from the sun And this will be our year to a long time to come Don't let go of my hand now the darkness has gone This will be our year to a long time Don't have to. 